Y'all are a wonderful church. I love y'all. I just like to say that every time I come up here because, you know, if you were preaching to a hostile crowd, it can make it very difficult. And a lot of people do that. A lot of people minister in a church, whether the senior pastor, associate pastor, or leader, whatever their title may be. And people hate them. Um, I was able to, to, to minister, uh, excuse me, I was on a minister's retreat over this past several days in Tennessee and was able to sit down with a man who said that, you know, these people, they called him to be a pastor. He went and served at that church and they basically ran him off with legalism and their traditionalism and would not shift even for the presence of God or the things of God or the word of God. And y'all are not like that at all, y'all. I am so thankful that we have been shepherded by our pastor in such a way to be an open people, a loving people. We're imperfect people. But anytime I get up here, I never feel that. I feel a freedom and a liberty. Um, And I know it's because of who God has made us all to be as a family. I don't have a catchy story to start it off with. I wish I did. I just want to tell you, don't look anywhere else. This is the first Sunday of 2024. And I want to encourage you, don't look anywhere else. Um, I did find one Peanuts cartoon, and it was that little girl, I think it's Marcy. She's sitting at her desk, and she said, I'm just here looking for the answers. She never knows the answers. If you look at the cartoon slide, she's always looking for them. She does ask another girl. She's like, what is the answer to question number three? Why should I tell you? And then she writes down, why should I tell you? She says, oh, wow, Lucy, we're going to be the only two who get this one right. And so if you're looking for a prophetic word for 2024, let it be this that comes from this text. Don't look anywhere else. So I want to read Luke chapter 7, 1 through 17. Um, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV, so if you follow along with that, it'll it'll go perfectly. And if not, and it's a very different version, um, you, you may not be able to track very well. I know that can be difficult sometimes, so then I just invite you just to listen and let me read the words to you. Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. Uh, Jesus is in his ministry. Things are going very well. You can see he's anointed. You can see that his ministry that he proclaimed that he was anointed to do in Luke chapter 4, it's being done, right? He was in that synagogue. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do all these things. And then we see all those things being lived out through Jesus. And it's a continuation of this. It says, after he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation. And he is the one who built us our synagogue. Clearly a man of financial means. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. He was a centurion. He had a hundred soldiers, a century of soldiers under him. Say the word, let my servant be sealed, healed. I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And he's speaking to a bunch of Israelites while he's saying it. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. 
A centurion was part of an occupying force over the people of God, ruling over them. Sure, he's a friendly, but he's still a centurion. He's still unclean. He's still uncircumcised. He still probably eats pork if he can get his hands on it or other unceremonially clean things. He still touches dead stuff if he's got his hands on a sword, if he's got people with swords and things like this. I'm sure there's blood around, maybe not actively all the time, but that's who he is. He does not deserve Jesus to do this. And yet Jesus does this for this undeserving Gentile outside the people of God. Chapter 7, verse 11, we go on and we read, Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. Listen to this, there's a great crowd already. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. There's a big crowd with Jesus. There's a big crowd with the man. And these two giant masses of people come together with Jesus and a coffin and a dead body in the middle of it. And listen, this was a widow. Her husband had already died. And her only son died. She's older. She has no way to make money for herself or survive. Her family was her safety net. And now her only son is dead. For all intents and purposes, this woman's life is pretty much over. After the weeping and after the wailing, she's got to wake up the next day and wonder, how am I going to get flatbread today? How am I going to feed myself? What am I going to do? I'm a woman. I'm weak physically. How can I do these things? There, you know, we live in this industri- beyond industrial and technological age. I've, I've got a servant who washes my dishes. I've got a servant who washes and dries my clothes for me. I've got, uh, you know, that's called a washer, dryer, dryer, and a dishwasher. You know, none of that exists for her. She's got to do everything. How is she going to live? And verse 13, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, or which would, you know, just the coffin there. And the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Now that would be kind of freaky, wouldn't it? Even if you believe in miracles, he just starts sitting up and speaking. Wait, is this okay? I was a security guard at a uh, funeral home for several years. And I used to joke around, my job was make sure that the dead body stayed in the caskets and didn't get up. Uh, what a great Christian. <laughs> you know, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. I feel like that's very symbolic. Why did he give him to his mother? Here's your provision from God. Here's your safety net again. God saw you. He saw your tears. And I'm actually, I'm not just going to let him walk to you. Here he is. Here he is. God loves you. So much in that, isn't there? Verse 16, fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. That Luke 4 ministry is just on display for everyone to see in front of crowds. Is there anything that Jesus cannot do? Isn't he powerful? Isn't he wonderful? Doing things for people who can do nothing for themselves. Verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. 
John's disciples hear about this centurion servant. He healed an unclean man's servant. He did that for that uncircumcised centurion, that Roman. He did that for that woman. He's hearing these things. The disciples of John are bringing the reports back to John. But where is John? He's in prison. He's in prison. And John, verse 18 at the end, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? What he's really saying is, should I be looking somewhere else for all of my messianic hopes? Because you are not completing them. You are not doing everything that that scripture that Luke 4 is based on. You're not doing it all. He heard about this man raised from the dead. He hears about the centurion's servant. John, he wasn't John the one who said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. After me comes a man who ranks before me. He was before me. And Jesus was born six months after John. And yet he's saying he was before me. The only way for that to happen is preexistence, right? I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. The only one that was going to be revealed to Israel was who? The one for whom the way was being prepared. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his ways straight. The Messiah of Israel is coming. Are you him? Are you him? I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. How can you testify? How can you see firsthand all these things occur and yet you're asking the question, are you the one I should really be placing my hope in at this time? Are you really the one who's gonna help me right now? Because you're not doing something that I expected you to do. Do we look for another? Are you the one to come or shall we look for another? Mm. There was deep doubt in John the Baptist's heart. He was not some flake. Jesus says that later. He's not some reed shaken by the wind. He's not an easily shaken man. I mean, he eats locusts, Wild honey, wears a rough coat, preaches out in the wilderness and upbraids the Pharisees and gives them the worst whipping verbally of their lives. You brood of vipers, who has told you to flee from the wrath to come? He is a booming, powerful man, but he's in prison. He's been put in prison by King Herod, an ungodly, lustful ally of the Romans Hardly even a Jew, man. This isn't right. This isn't what the Messiah is supposed to do. You're, he's, he's thinking about this in prison. I did prison ministry for a while. And one thing that you find is when you go to prison, you have a lot of time to think. A lot of time to think. You have time to fashion weapons, time to memorize scriptures. Even if you don't know how to apply them correctly, you often find in a Bible study, they know a lot. They just don't know what it means. And some are very godly and they've drawn close to the Lord, been saved there. But whatever the case is, there's a lot of time. He, he had gone through this. He wasn't an unfaithful man, right? He, he had thought about these things. If you are who you say you are, Jesus... What he's really asking is, why is this happening to me? If you're, my, if you're God, if you're Messiah, why am I in prison? 
Why am I not out? And you can ask that question too. God, if, if your names are who you say you are, why am I in this situation? Why am I struggling with this sin? Why is my marriage on the rocks? Why does my spouse want to leave? Why are these things happening? Why am I without a job? Why, do I, why am I so frustrated in my spiritual life? Why is this the way it is if you are who you are? It's a very pertinent question as we go into 2024. You know, and again, I say, if you want a prophetic word for this year, look for miracles. Because the context of the doubt is all the miracles. Believe for miracles. Pray for miracles. Pray for the sick to be healed. Expect to see God do mighty things. Expect to see him move. Expect him to see, to part red seas in your life. Expect him to give you victory over sin. Expect mighty things from God. Don't be like the people of Nazareth who he would have done mighty things, but because they did not have faith, he could not do much except put his hands on a few people, heal a few sick folk. God wants to do a whole lot more in 2024 than just heal a few sick folk. He wants to, but he wants to do far more things. But we should also expect this year to have some unsatisfied prayer requests. And if we don't come into the year with a heart fixed upon the one that says, even if you don't, you are who you say you are. There's a song, and uh, maybe some of you have heard it, Miracle or Not. Oh, it's beautiful. How long will I, I can't even sing all the words. How long will I go on like this singing? Seeing you do all these miracles that are not my own. How long? As long as it takes till my heart finds its song. As long as it takes till you smell the smoke of faith. And at the end of the day, I will stand up and say, I know that you love me. Miracle or not. Miracle or not, I want this elected official to come into office in 2024. What if it doesn't happen? Will you be like all the other people who heard the YouTube prophets in 2020? And you think this thing's going to happen and all these expectations and they all wash away? Or COVID happens and you're not supposed to meet, but God says meet. Where are you, God? If you, if you lose a child this year, is he still God? The goal of this is not to make us terrified of the year to come, but to have a heart that says, miracle or not, your names say who you are, and I love you. I don't understand, though, and that's okay. You don't have to understand. You can have a broken heart. You can go through the valley of the shadow of death and see some dark and scary shadows. If you've ever seen or heard um, the video of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you've ever heard of the story? He was a Puritan pastor in England in the 1600s, a hero of mine. He refused not to preach. He could have been set free at any time. Just don't preach because you're not licensed to with the Church of England. You have to conform to our rules, the law of conformity. He said, I can't. Twelve years in prison. And he writes The Pilgrim's Progress. And at one point, the pilgrim, he's going through all these dark times. And he can't see everything. 
you know? Apollyon, the enemy, is battling him. He's getting ready to go through the waves of death, and he's frightened because Apollyon, the devil, is saying, when you go through the waves, Christian, I will be there. Mark my words. I will follow you, Christian. You're mine. You, will, you may have fled the city of destruction, but you'll never make it to the celestial city. I'm sorry, baby. <laughs> She's the sweetest baby with the cutest eyes too. She is so sweet. But who is there in that valley of the shadow of death? The shepherd is there. And when he opens his eyes, he has not been put to shame. And he didn't have all of his questions answered. But when he opened his eyes on the other side of that sea of death, the celestial city was there, and the king he had waited on was there, and everything was true, and it all made sense, and all of his questions got answered. And then his heart's only desire was, Christiana, come here too. I want my family to be here too. And no matter what happens, we can be like him. No matter what happens, no matter what valleys of the shadow of death we pass through, and even with unfulfilled expectations and prayers that we fast for and pray for, he is my God. He is the faithful one. You are the good shepherd, miracle or not. Does God have to explain every detail for me to trust him? What if things go sideways and opposite of the way I've been fasting and praying? It can be, we, we look for people to blame. We do, right? Because we're in a very logical society. A plus, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. If I put in hard work and I show up to work on time and I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and Proverbs says this, that those who aren't lazy and do this, I should do well. And then it doesn't happen. And you're like, what's going on? God, that's your fault. That can sometimes slip into our minds, right? Or as a question, why not God? But if you want someone to blame, blame Adam. Just, can we just, can we just blame Adam? Like, and Lord, forgive me if I get to heaven and I need to say sorry to Adam, but, but I'll just, but call it like it is. Don't eat this fruit because in the day thereof you eat, you will die. And he might not have understood what God said in all the details, but we're living out the details. Our lives are the commentary of what it means for death to happen in a world. That is what we need to look back to ultimately for the why. But I want to give a little bit of my testimony. And um, in November 2021, um, you know, my wife, she was pregnant, very excited. Uh, we're going to have another, a third baby. She, on a Sunday morning, we both began to have questions about the pregnancy. I just had this feeling like, I think Leah's going to miscarry. I didn't say anything, but it's like, I just had this knowing. I feel like, I feel like we're going to lose this baby just for weeks. And then she started to, to think the same thing. And then we were here on a Sunday morning, and she just, something is wrong. And so we go to a ladies' uh, women's hospital, and they say, yes, this is a, tu- um, a tubal pregnancy. This is an ectopic pregnancy. There's no way for this baby to survive. And then um, we're just praying. We're believing God. God, you can do all things. Move this baby into the womb. Pastor Lisa Andrew, just you're this baby's father. Say it authoritatively. Pray for this baby to move into the womb, and I am. And I'm believing God to do it, even though it's really hard and really difficult. And with my mustard seed of faith, because he doesn't need great faith, he just needs me to trust him, and I asked him to. Two days later, uh, I want to say Michelle was with Leah and one other. She's over here, and she feels a sharp pain like an ice pick. And then I get her into the, the bath over there, and I realize this isn't right. I put her in my arms. I carry her to the car. 
I raced down to women's hospital, so she's bleeding now internally. Her tube has exploded. You can't repair that. We don't have the technology for it. So my wife is bleeding. My baby is, for all intents and purposes, lost. So that happens. I lose my baby. My wife, my wife loses a fallopian tube. Two days later, my wife is on the couch. She's healing next door. My two sons are on this back lawn, and they're playing. And Leland comes in, and he's being bitten all over his neck and his face by ants. He begins to go into anaphylactic shock. He begins to have, uh, I put him in the same bath I'd put my wife two days earlier. And his ear begins to swell. Lumps start to come up. And I throw him in the car. I didn't care who was seeing how fast I went. Emergency flashers on, going up blue bonnet, 80, 85. People are at the stoplight. I'm going in the turn lanes and everything. He starts to cough at the end. <laughs> Daddy, I don't feel well. I don't feel well. And so my son is in my arms two days later after I've carried my wife to emergency room and carrying my son Leland to the emergency room. And the doctors say, you got him here just in time. You got him here just in time. Not only that, but then the brand new, well, not the brand new, but the home that I purchased, uh, I'm told by the plumber about a week or two before this, the reason we were in the church house was because we were doing renovations. All of your drainage pipes on your home are rusted and need to be replaced because if you don't, in the next five years, they'll all break. And so we then have to pay $23,000 or a little bit more to replace them. The home that I've purchased is broken. My wife could have died. My, I lost my baby. And then my son could have died. You know, and it's all hitting you all at once. How would you have counseled me during that time? Just, just think about it. You don't have to say an answer out loud. I'm just asking you. Just as, just as a friend. How would you have counseled Andrew with all that? I hope it would have been I don't understand but don't look anywhere else. I don't, I don't know all this is happening in your life, Andrew, but don't look anywhere else. I can't explain it. I don't understand it, but God is still good. I hope that's how you would have encouraged my life. I hope you would have encouraged me. Remember the nature of God. Remember his names. Remember who he is. I don't know what he's going to do. I'm not going to give you false promises. Your baby's not coming back from the dead at this point. I don't know what to do. But bring your questions and your perplexities to God because he can handle them. He can handle them. I know that the book of Job is a very difficult book for some people to read. But what it teaches me is God can handle our questions. But that there is a shadow in our understanding of what God is doing. And God will not always bring perfect light to a situation. Why does he have to? Why does he have to? Why do I think like life can't have mystery? Why do I think like, it, not that hard things are fun, but can't God do what he wants? Did God do that to my baby? Not on your life. But does God have to tell me every detail before I trust him? It's easier to say no whenever we're not in that circumstance. But no, he doesn't. No matter what happens. But God is not going to change in 2024. If you want another prophetic word, because you know we like that, right? Something to go into the year. God will not change. This, word, this world will. Circumstances will. But God never will change. Your names are who you are. 
and you will never, ever change. Write that down. God will not change this year. And having questions is not failing. You got a question? My children ask me all the time, why, Daddy? Why, Daddy? They want to know legitimately why. And perhaps you've heard, well, I don't question God. There's a difference between accusing God and questioning in the sense of, I don't understand. I'm not here to blame you. I'm just here to ask you, help me understand what's going on and help my heart through it. Just give me light for the situation. Is there anything wrong with that? Is he a father or not? Can my son ask me, why do we use a hammer for this instead of a, a, a wrench? Can, can he ask me, why are, we gonna draw, why are we going this way when that's the way we typically go? My, my son asked me that. This isn't the way to go home. Why are we doing that? Well, we've got to run by the hardware store. You know, but he learned something because he asked, why are you changing? Not changing, but why are we taking this other path? I'm not used to this path, God. And I'd like to, to read a lengthy portion of Job chapter 38. Because we can ask God. And Job did not sin with his mouth, but yet there was some error mixed into his questions. There was error mixed into his questions, and yet he didn't sin. Go figure that one out, Right? I'm a type A personality, but I'm learning to loosen up. You know, I really am. I'm learning to just say, it's okay for there to be questions unresolved. I'm just learning to chill. Or when people ask me, hey, this eschatological question and this and that and that, well, I'm, I'm this and I'm all mill and I believe that. And well, answer me this and riddle me that. It's like, well, you know, I, I just, I'm not comfortable answering that right off the cuff just to pretend to you that I'm smart and I know it all. I'd rather go back and just read the scripture and have a well-seasoned thought to your question. Like, that's okay too. That's okay. And Job did not know everything. He said this in Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsels by words without knowledge? He's talking to Job. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. God, this guy has just lost all of his kids. He's lost all of his wealth and everything. But Job though he did not sin in accusing God, still did have error mixed in. And God is saying, I'm not in a dark shadow for you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. You've asked why. Now I get to choose how I answer you because I am God Almighty. Amen. So when you ask why, be prepared. Let God do whatever he wants. But just remember, he wasn't mean to him. He's just revealing who he is to him. Right? And at the end, he gets a double blessing and he has a bunch of children. So just know, Job is going to be okay at the end of this, okay? Don't make God some bad guy. Job's going to be okay. Job didn't understand it all, but let's learn about God. That's what I want us to focus on here. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds, now we're saying it, I made clouds, its garment, and thick darkness, its swaddling band. 
and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? We still haven't, even with all of our technology, explored the Mariana Trench perfectly, or all the depths of the ocean, with all of our technology. That word to Job is still the same to us. Do you know the depths of the sea? And humanity would collectively just have to sigh, no, Lord, but you know them. Declare, verse 18, have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? Where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the path to its home? You know for you were born then and the numbers of your days is great. God's being sarcastic. He can do that. He can do that. He's not your personality. He's not. He's not you and he's not me. God is God. He can answer however the way he wants. He is mysterious. Even if you're the greatest systematic or biblical theologian, and I do not fault those things, they are very helpful. You can't scratch the surface of them. You might see the pages of scripture, but the the living of those things out, the mystery, the, the question marks, Let him be beautiful. Let him be beyond our wildest dreams. Verse 28, I'll just skip ahead. Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? And he just goes on for several chapters like this. And the humility that enters Job's heart. He just realizes, I don't know those things. How can I understand my circumstances? And perhaps God would just say, you never will this side of heaven. And I think that's the answer. I think that's the answer for not looking somewhere else. Not looking to food. Not looking to sports. Not looking to pornography. Not even looking for profitable things which are hobbies. To somehow come in and bring comfort in the midst of all of my pain. Because all of us experience pain. And there is that first thing that we run to. You know what it is for you. You don't even have to say it out loud. Or sometimes it's so instant you're ashamed of yourself. Because it's like it didn't even access my mind. I just started moving this way. And that's how you know, oh wow, that is like my besetting sin in my flesh. That is the thing where if I gave myself to it, that is who I would be. And everyone in here has that. But God wants to enter into that place. He wants to enter into John's doubt. God had said in Isaiah 61 of the Messiah, in verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, And listen to this, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And John is bound in prison. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And if anyone deserved 
the day of vengeance, it was King Herod. Why aren't you doing, God, what the Bible says? I got a scripture. Why aren't you doing it? Because we've been taught in this culture, if I've got enough faith and I can decree and declare till I'm blue in the face, or if I can fast long enough, or if I got faith of a mustard seed, well, surely it's not my fault. Who are you who darkens counsel? Who, are, who am I who darkens knowledge? To say that just because I got a scripture, that I somehow know how to apply it. Or that I know all the plans of God because John couldn't see there was a second coming. He just couldn't see it. And Jesus didn't explain it to him. But he did do something. He, he drew near and he comforted John in a way that John had already received before. Because what did Jesus do at that moment? Verse 20, and when the, uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 20, if you'd like to follow along. Luke 7, verse 20. And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist sent us, saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, he, that's Jesus, healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits. On many who were blind, he bestowed sight. He fulfilled the scripture again that John knew. The same thing that John had seen before, he did it again in front of the witnesses, in front of the disciples of John. And he answered them, go and tell John what you've seen. This is my message to him. But you're not answering about the loosing of the prisoners and the day of vengeance. I'm God, I get to decide how I answer. And that doesn't make him hard or mean. If you want to know his name, he said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he would be a comforter to us, a helper. He's a shepherd. We're his sheep. And he is lovingly sending a message. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear the, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Stop short of verse 2 in Isaiah 61. And he inserts this. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Why did he answer that way? I don't know. Why didn't he slip on a piece of paper? There are two comings. I'm going to do the rest later. Just, just walk. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those that come to him must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, miracle or not. By faith, they did this, they did that. By faith, they died. Death is not failure. Can anyone think of a good biblical example for that? Anybody? Jesus. Jesus. We're told this in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 19 to 20. Y'all, I was, I was crying a little bit while I was preparing this message. I was thinking how much life hurts and how the questions hurt so bad. I was thinking about the things that people are going through in here. 
But I was thinking about just the pain of the why, you know, and how we can feel shrouded in darkness, and it hurts. And it's not like a doubting God thing, but just like, just the fact of life. Can we just say it hurts? And I don't understand. But 1 Corinthians 15 is where I place my hope. Verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, John the Baptist would have been put to shame. Jesus said he was the greatest born among women. There was no one. Moses was not greater than John the Baptist. Elijah was not greater than John the Baptist. Adam was not. Enoch was not. Nobody before Christ was any greater than John the Baptist. And God let him stay in prison and eventually have his head chopped off because of a lustful man had his stepdaughter who was his cousin or niece dance before him and he was drunk and instead of losing face... He got manipulated by the situation to decapitate the greatest born among women and God allowed it. Explain that. Explain it. You can't. He ran his race. He finished it. <coughs> the, the sin of Adam is the, is the greatest explanation I know is men are evil. Why did my baby die? It's not God's fault. It all comes from Genesis 3. Is this a creation problem or is this a fall problem. So much of life can be summed up with that question. Did God create it to be this way? Or did man's clear rebellion against God's clear warning cause this? It's a problem with man and the fall. That's why Herod was the way he was. He heard John's preaching. He could have repented. The prostitutes repented. The enemies of Israel, the tax collectors repented. He wants no one to perish. He could have. He just didn't. He could have said no and lost face, but he didn't. God knew what would happen. And he stayed his hand. And that does not make God bad. It just means I don't understand. And you know what that means? It just means I'm not God. Can we just eat that a little bit? I'm not God. Can we say that right now out loud? I'm not God. When something goes wrong in life, I don't understand it. I'm not God. But comma, but there is a resurrection. But there is a resurrection from the dead. And just like in the allegory of the pilgrim's progress, and he opened his eyes and he made it through. And who is waiting for him but the king of kings? God is waiting for us and all of our questions are going to be answered on the other side. They will be answered, just not yet. First Corinthians 15, 20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. It all hinges on the resurrection. He was the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. John, I'm going to die so that your death is not in vain. God is not one who's distanced himself from our suffering. He willingly entered it. He willingly made himself where he would die if he didn't nurse on Mary. He made himself where he could get splinters in his hand, skint knees, beat up on a playground. He entered humanity and he was even allowed himself to be tempted, yet without sin. 
He allowed nails to be driven through one of the most sensitive nerves in the human body. He willingly entered in so that there could be a comma to our I don't knows. But there is a resurrection from the dead because I have died and been raised again. Job is singing right now. We will be shouting one day when we see the manifold wisdom of God and how he did not impinge on every free will opportunity of man so that we would not be robots and he allowed us to engage with the full implications of failure in the garden. Because I allowed free will, I will allow you to freely understand what it costs to do this and to choose this. I have to let that occur to some degree. But death is not failure. That's why we're told, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? You done been robbed. You've had You've been smeared in the face with dirt. You have been beat up like the worst bully, finally getting your comeuppance on the playground by a whole crowd of people. That's what Jesus did to you. Oh, I just, how awesome will it be to see the angels bind up the devil and throw him in a pit and he can't do anything. To see when Jesus finally banishes him to the lake of fire and we will say, is this him? who plagued the nations, we can rejoice in his demise. We don't speak evil against the devil, not railing accusations, not even Michael the archangel, but I can't wait to see him get it kicked. Hallelujah. So my testimony continued. Did God fail? I could have lost Leah. She survived. I nearly lost Leland. He's living. He's so cute. I love him. Over $20,000 in plumbing issues, I was able to pay it back in three months with money I don't know where it came from. Hallelujah. My lost baby, who we named Baby November, is in heaven. And I'm going to embrace Baby November one day. And I like to think that maybe he or she will look at me and say, Dad, I've been waiting for you this whole time. I'm just cheering you on. If they can see me, I was cheering you on, Dad, and I've been waiting for you. And I know that I'll be able to embrace my baby one day. I have that hope because there is a resurrection. And you know what God did? Even though that prayer wasn't answered, I have another little baby named Evie Joy Wilkes. I asked God, I, want a red, I would love a little girl that has red hair and blue eyes. You know what she's got? She's got red hair and she's got blue eyes. Do you see a whole lot of red in here? That's a miracle. And guess where she came from? Quick biological lesson. Women have two ovaries. Just listen. And they have two fallopian tubes. Just, just, just stay with me. It matters. And those fallopian tubes are like little highways that bring the car of an egg all the way down. If you remove I-10, people can't get from the bridge to North Baton Rouge. Just pretend there's no old bridge. There's no way to get there. So we go in, talk to the doctor. They've done a scan. And he says, wait a second. Which fallopian tube was removed? This one on the right. He said, y'all have a miracle. Because the egg came from the right ovary with no fallopian tube. How can you tell that doctor? He said, because when a woman ovulates, a small cyst temporarily forms on top. 
which produces all of these hormones and things which will help feed the baby until it gets implanted and everything else gets moving in the uterus. So, my baby was released here, has no highway, I don't know how, but this Presbyterian, wonderful doctor who I love, uh, I wish I could just say his name out loud, but I feel like that's like somehow I'm violating his privacy, <laughs> like HIPAA, moved over here, and we have a baby named Evie Joy, named after my wife's sister who died, Don Joy, who died of a brain tumor unexpectedly at 22. Why, God? This miracle happened. He said, you've got a message from God here. He said, my doctor said this specifically. You have a word from God here. This is a miracle. It's the same kind of word from God that Jesus, who is God, gave John the Baptist. He spoke to me in the same miraculous way, a message to me. He's still with me. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. And though I don't understand all the things of God, in Leah's sister's passing away, I'm married to Leah is an implication of that. And we have these babies as an implication of that. You can ask for more details later. How did that work out? People heard the gospel. Many people who were hardened to the gospel heard her preach several weeks before she died. It was put on CD. There was a pastor in the Midwest. He used to have a radio station that reached over five states. And he said, I played that message. And I had a special just for Don Joy of her testimony and everything. And I played it where, where literally hundreds of thousands, had they wanted to hear it, could have heard it. The ways of God are beyond finding out. Are you the one that we should look for? Or do we look for another? And I just want to encourage you and give the opportunity to respond to the Lord. Don't have an earthly perspective. We're told that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're there already spiritually. But we're then told to set our minds on those things. It is an act of the will and by the spirit. I want to think about the resurrection because nothing else makes sense, brother, apart from the resurrection. But he will see you through whatever happens this year. That's God's word for us. That's God's word for us. So musicians, if you want to come up here, your life is hidden with Christ. It's protected in him. But I've got to fix my hope there. I've got to fix my hope in the middle of midst of questions. And even when you're not holding the baby in your arms to say, I don't know why. But I know that you love me. Miracle or not. Miracle or not. Hallelujah. If you just want to respond to the Lord here. In whatever way, you may be having a great time right now. And this isn't to discourage you. But this is just to prepare us for the year ahead. To look to the God of miracles. To do the miracles. But to also let him be God and realize that I am not he who hung the stars. He is. Amen. faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God 
must believe that he exists. I believe that, God, and that he rewards those who seek him. Don't look anywhere else. His nose are not without purpose, even if the situation is not of his own causing. I will find it out later.